The views expressed by our podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas. So welcome to BankCast, a podcast from FHLB Dallas. I'm your host, Vanessa Soto, and we are here today with our guest, Louisiana Agriculture Commissioner Mike Strain, to discuss developments in the agriculture industry. Commissioner Strain has been Louisiana's Agriculture Commissioner since January of 2018, but you might also be interested to know that he was raised on a cattle farm in Covington, and he has a veterinary medicine degree from LSU, which he has put to good use running a veterinary clinic with his wife that specializes in large animal care. Welcome to today's podcast, Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. Um, so, sir, I thought we would begin today's podcast talking about um, COVID-19. So can you tell us about the effects COVID-19 has had on various markets in the agriculture sector? And will the pandemic change any practices or procedures going forward? Good. Well, I'm glad you got a couple of hours for that question. Uh, <laughs> truthfully, it has made a tremendous a light change in overall in the agriculture and, of course, in what we call the logistics part of ag and forestry and as well as food delivery. And so what's happened, you know, initially with uh, COVID, you know, day one, day one of COVID, two things immediately came into focus. One, paper products, right, toiletries, and two, food, specifically ground meat and other things. And as you know, you know, the entire ag, forestry, aquaculture, the entire supply chain is based on Uh, minimal inventories and last-minute deliveries, very, very, very streamlined. So what happened is that when there was a weakness or a break in the chain, it resulted in, um, you know, quite a bit of market disruption. And then you put into that when people began panic buying whatever the product was, uh, instead of, you know, buying a pound of ground meat, they bought 10 pounds. And immediately you had on the retail side, uh, you had a shortage of, products that were essential, which further fueled the panic. In addition to that, what happened is that in our, uh, especially food processing, if you look specifically in meat processing and in our kill plants, when workers began getting sick and working in very close proximity and those closed uh, air type systems began getting sick, there was a further disruption in the supply chain. And then on top of that, what we saw is that overall dealing with our stevedores that load and unload ships, the market chain disruptions, that became our first priority initially with the disease as as well as containing the virus. But from where I sit uh, was to reestablish and and make sure that we kept a supply chain going. And so what that involved is, one, educating the public not to panic, and two, uh, to develop systems and say, look, you may not get the cut of chicken that you want, but you will get chicken. And then working at all in all different avenues, trying to keep that supply and demand going, as well as to stop those inevitable events such as dumping of food where, you know, if you had a company that was processing cheese, well, then there was no market for the cheese because the restaurants had closed. They dumped the milk because, again, one, a lot of that milk cannot be used. It's not grade A, it's grade B. But also there was no way to bottle it and move it. And so initially there was a lot of supply chain issues and it brought into focus where the weaknesses were in the supply chain. And then what it's going to do in the long term, we take a hard look at those continuing supply chain issues and do things that we can correct 
uh, and mediate any, any future supply chain disruptions. You also saw, too, that overall worldwide there's a tightening uh, in the supply and demand, those ratios, the stocks to use ratios are getting tighter. You've seen, uh, if you're looking into the futures, where almost all the commodities are moving in a very positive direction. That is because of overall world supply chain uh, production, and it just brought a, a number of issues that were moving forward, but it brought them to immediate focus. That's really very interesting, Commissioner. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the timber industry. So last year, we saw the price of lumber fluctuate significantly with mills shutting down while the housing market flourished. So can you talk about what you're seeing in the, in the timber industry now? Yes, what you're seeing now is that you are still seeing a very strong demand uh, for lumber. Lumber is backed up, if you look at overall price, to probably around $800, $850 a thousand. It had gotten up to $1,000 or $1,100 per thousand. And also what happened, you had a number of things happen simultaneously. One, uh, you had people that were now told you do not have to, have to come to the big city and work in the high-rise office building. You can work from home. And then two, People said, okay, if I can work from home, where does home have to be? So, well, it can be wherever you want to be. And so then it changed the housing market from the big cities where people were looking more into suburbia and into rural America. Said, well, I can live here. And then what happened, because people were at home, a lot of people working from home, all those fixer-upper projects that had not been done, that's on the, as we call it, you know, the honeydew list, they they started working. They built decks. They built fences. They repaired homes. And then what happened is that with the interest rates basically below inflation, I mean, you look at these interest rates, when you can borrow money, you know, at three, three and a half, four percent, you know, anywhere around that 3.5, you know, you look at these loans, people say, hey, you know what, I can buy a house now. And, that, and what happened, all the institutions got an influx of money because the reserve was basically giving the money away for free. And, and you saw some areas. They were discussing mm-hmm. negative interest into the, into the feds, or in, and this is around the world and other entities. People started building homes. However, what happened is that we've had a built up in a supply of the timber you know, on the production side, and then over the years we've lost many of our mills. And so you had a disconnect uh, because what happened is that you didn't have enough mills uh, to process the supply chain that was available to the mills, but then on the other side – you had a greater demand for the product than the mills could supply, spiking the price. And so where you have, you know, lumber that was running $1,000 or $1,100, you know, per 1,000 square feet, uh, you looked at a valuation, an average valuation here in Louisiana of, of $255 per 1,000 square feet, you know, basically paid to the landowners. So there was a disconnect there. Uh, we have seen uh, a you know, a, a, in a strengthening. But if you go back to 2018, we're still 10% or so below the value of stumpage on the farm from 2018. And so I think what's got to happen is that we have to have more mills, and that's an issue getting enough mills to process the wood so that we can meet the demand. I think the demand is going to remain solid as long as we have interest rates that remain stable. And as long as people, and and in the new normal, I think people are going to be more working from home. A lot of businesses Mm -hmm. have found out that they don't have to pay the rent in those high-rises in in the cities. People can work from home. Uh, They're getting more used to that. And then, uh, you know, I think the availability of home ownership, 
is going to move back in a positive direction. For many years, the average age of the homeowner was getting older uh, in all different mm-hmm. aspects because young people were not buying homes, and then middle-aged people were waiting longer to buy homes. And it really didn't even out until the age of around 70. And so I think there was a pent-up demand for homes and new homes, and people are buying, building new homes uh, as well. So you're seeing a shift in out-migration from the cities into the rural areas and suburban areas, and I think that has pushed the overall lumber markets. And they're settling right now. They're starting to settle a little bit. But I think in a period of time, probably next year, we hope that we're going to see the, the value of the timber uh, to the landowner increase more uh, in line with what the retail price of lumber is. And, sir, you mentioned changes going forward. Uh, kind of along those lines, I think in general, 2020 highlighted our ability to do things efficiently from a technological standpoint. Um, So can you speak to any technological advances in the ag sector that you've seen in the last couple of years? Well, there's a huge amount of technological advances, you know, specifically in informatics, uh, where more and more of our farmers and our timber owners are using. If you look at just the use of drones, the drones with multi-spectrum analysis that can fly over fields and really give a better on, you know, better analysis of where you have a problem, what you need to do, how much fertilizer you need to do, use. So I think it's going to enhance our ability to produce more with less imports. You can see higher crop productivity. You can see decreased use of water, fertilizer, and pesticides. Uh, And, of course, reduce impact on our natural uh, ecosystems, less runoff, more worker safety. And so we have everything, you know, if you look at from uh, use of water, For instance, John Deere has an entire division on informatics. If you look at the technology that's in all of our equipment, it is high-tech. And it's high-tech because, again, by efficiency results in profitability. And so, you know, your average farmer is looking at his, you know, his cell phone, which is now a mini uh, iPad, and, you know, they're looking like today. They will say, all right, do I go ahead and book my soybeans today? But wait now, latest reports that we could see $15 beans. They're pushing $14.00 right now, but also they're looking to analyze everything in the fields and make it more and more efficient. Plus, on the other side, there's a lot of growing technology about the, the appropriate use of all of our technology in crop production, how we can create you know, better livestock, how we can do things to improve our poultry, all of the different things we have based on the available science of the day. And the science of the day is moving very, very rapidly and especially in areas where we can develop technology where plants and animals are more disease-resistant without the use of antibiotics and chemicals, and also how we can in- increase efficiency. I mean, the CRISPR technology is huge, where we turn on and off genes that are in the same plant, as well as looking at gene editing and just a host of other things. And I think you're going to see that, you know, simply to advance our ability to produce, because what's happening you know, again, the supply chain and supply and demand is getting so tight and so close. And if you look specifically at oil seeds, uh, wheat and rice, and you realize, you know, how close we are, uh, we're starting in many cases to eat into the year-end stocks. And the amount that we have on hand, the carry forward is getting smaller. And this has been a progressive pattern over the last few years. So we must rely on technology. Wow. That, that's really, really impressive. I didn't know. I didn't know that. That's incredible. 
Um, Commissioner, let me ask you, you mentioned uh, soybeans. So let can we talk a little bit about the 2018 trade negotiations with China? And what impact have you seen from those trade negotiations? The impact with the trade negotiations has been huge. You know, China, you know, initially committed to buying, you know, $40 billion a year uh, in agricultural products and then COVID hit. And they really closed out probably in the upper 20s. But now what you see with soybeans, specifically right now, uh, there are issues in Brazil uh, due to drought and other things. There's been issues overall with food in the European Union uh, because of their climate. Climate, climactic conditions are a concern. Also, though, is that China is rebuilding their pork and their poultry. So they had poultry issues due to avian influenza. And then African swine fever hit them very, very, very hard. So they are buying more soybeans. And right now, if you look at different uh, food products, you know, we're shipping more and more beef. Japan is our number one importer of beef, American beef. But China is pushing in at number two. And so China, which is the world's largest consumer of products and the world's largest net importer of food products, is buying more and more. And I think you're going to see this year that be a very competitive market for soybeans. You saw uh, where, uh, in a discussion by one of the leaders in agricultural trading, was talking about uh, rationing of contracts to make sure all the customers were able to buy soybeans. In addition to that, as we export more beef and we export more poultry, we will be using more of our soybeans here in the United States. And there are very big projects underway for the utilization of soybean oil as well as canola oil and corn oil, one for energy, but also that we make high-value soybean oil and high-value soybean meal for the use to feed our own poultry and livestock, which we then export. And so I think if you look at overall, I think we're going to see a strong soybean market. You know, if you, if you look at where the soybeans are today, again, uh, a lot of discussion about moving towards that $15. So a lot of people were hesitant on selling today. Uh, but, you know, if you look at today's soybean market, they were 13.74, up 19.5, so getting closer to 14, and they could hit 15. And so a lot of our farmers, you know, I think when it gets around 14, they're going to probably go ahead and contract about a quarter of their crop. But I think probably a big tale will be told, you know, next month and when we get the next WASDA report, World Agriculture Supply and Demand, I do think you're going to see an uptick in soybeans. Uh, but most of all of our commodities are, are moving in a very strong position. I'm glad that you said that because you kind of led into my next question. Um, it seems like the impact from the derecho storms in the Midwest benefited farmers. Um, so can you talk to us about other possible factors that may have impacted crop prices in 2020? Well, in 2020, we had a number of issues. One, you had the derecho, which affected, you know, to a degree, a million acres, one million acres. Uh, if you look at overall corn and soybeans, you know, soybean production was, you know, close to 90 million acres, corn production, you know, around 90 million acres you know, across the United States, but and a million acres is a lot. Uh, but the fact that they had the derecho and the fact that we had, for instance, the most active hurricane season in the history of the United States, the most active Atlantic hurricane season, which affected all the Gulf Coast states and Texas, you know, weather, uh, looking at weather, that's a huge, you know, a huge part of what we think about and look at, and it is affecting overall production. You combine that 
with what's happened with the weather conditions in Brazil and then the growing demand. There's a lot of pent-up demand because what happened during COVID-19, a lot of countries were basically consuming product from their own stocks, you know, the, the, their warehouses, their private and public warehouses, and now we're reaching a point where they're having to replenish that. So you have a demand for product on one side, and then you have the, the growing concerns about climate change uh, worldwide that, again, I think what's going to happen is that you will see these feedstocks uh, be in higher demand. So, um, you know, a big part of what happened here in the United States, one, weather conditions, the derecho, the hurricanes, uh, and then, of course, rainfall conditions, but then number two, the effects of COVID-19. But then we also have the fact that we are now investing uh, more money than ever in our ability to export these products. If you look at what we're doing here on the Mississippi River, it's one of the largest capital expense projects to dredge the Mississippi River all the way to Baton Rouge to 50 feet, and we're expanding all of our export facilities. Uh, so, you know, we and the government plus the private sector, we see what's coming on increasing our export capacity. All of that is going to move the price of soybeans forward. And, Commissioner, if you could tell farmers one or two things to look out for in the future, what would that be? Well, I would tell them to first look at what's going to be happening with all of the decisions dealing with climate change and climate change policy. I think the USDA, as well as the states, can be very, very involved in carbon trading credits uh, where the farmers can would be paid uh, to sequester carbon. And I think what you start looking at is cover crops. Uh, and so I think you're looking at cover crops and how can you use cover crops, you know, for instance, uh, you know, soybeans uh, and, or other types of products, uh, and then you know, winter products to put nitrogen in the soil and keep the soil properly aerated as well as capture those carbon credits. I think to start looking at better and more intense management of your forest, you know, those that are your, your timber plantations, again, for sequestration of carbon uh, and nitrogen and other things. Also to play, pay close attention uh, to all of these uh, commodity prices. Because what you have seen, you know, if you watch the markets, you've seen a great deal of volatility. Uh, volatility was uh, the buzzword for last year. I think it could still be a part of the buzzword for next year. And, I, you know, and I think if you see those soybeans get at four fifty or $15, and if you're happy, time to sign that contract. And so just be judicious, judicious in what you do. Make sure you have adequate crop insurance. Make sure you also have an ability, uh, for instance, uh, insurance if you can get it, uh, that if you've already harvested your crop and it's in your bins and if a storm destroys your bins, that you're still covered. And so all of those different things. Stay very close to the Farm Services Agency. Visit with them. Say, okay, what's new? What do you have? What can we do? Make sure you're a part of that system. But I think we're going to have uh, just a, a good near year next year. And what I'll tell all of my businesses and especially my farmers, stay close to your bankers. Visit with them. <laughs> personal. It's personal. You know, I've been borrowing money since I was 17 years of age, and the only reason I got my first loan is because my family and the banker's family were friends, you know, because I was, I was given a signature loan, and I asked that banker, what do you have to back this up? He, he told me my collateral was of no value. He said, son, I have your hide. I have your signature, and we've been borrowing money from him ever since. I love that. Um, and, Commissioner, finally, is there anything that we have not covered that you would like to speak to? Well, I think it is incumbent upon all of us to stay safe, 
get vaccinated as soon as possible, even after you're vaccinated. Just because you get vaccinated and a booster, still wear your mask, still wash your hands, do all those things until we have eradicated COVID-19. And I think once we have eradicated this disease, I think you will see the economies of the world that will flourish. But you must remain safe. You must remain vigilant. And again, uh, since, you know, this year we did not have a lot of the common cold. We didn't have a lot of flu. And so we got to make sure that we get our flu vaccinations as well next year. But the main thing is we have to stay safe, stay healthy. And bear in mind, you know, these diseases can strike anyone and they can have devastating effects. Well, Commissioner Strain, thank you so much for your time. I have really enjoyed our talk, and I've learned so much. So I really do appreciate you calling in and talking with us today. We hope you and your families are staying healthy and are having a great new year. Please visit FHLB.com slash podcast for more episodes of BankCast. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day.